today I'm reading from Acts 6, 1 through 7. It says, In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, now I'm going to mess up some of these names, uh, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to faith. Um, I'm so excited to be able to share with you. And we were, Megan and I were joking with John earlier about, I was like, oh, you can't hear anything I say. So um, we were just kind of kidding with him about me uh, making sure that he trusts me to do this. So um, this morning, man, John asked me to speak on this um, a little while ago, and I was so excited because this area is kind of like where I'm ultimately passionate about as far as finding giftings and servanthood and and the types of things that we should be doing as believers and followers and disciples. Um, and so I, I just first want to break down the kind of the passage and then I want to really dig into um, what this is all about and what it means practically. So the scripture that was just read, there are two different types of Jewish backgrounds in the situation, and the disciples that that can't do it all. They're they're overwhelmed. They have a lot going on, and the people are frustrated with the level of neglect. And the epistles they they recognize the injustice of the situation. They recognize that the work far outweighs what they alone can do, and so they appoint seven. The people appoint seven to help with the work that is needed to be done to advance the kingdom in a way that is edifying to the people and edifying to the kingdom. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a job interview where they ask you what your strengths and weaknesses are. It's like the worst question. And everybody gives like weird answers with their weaknesses because they don't want to sound bad to anyone else. You know, it's always like something super generic, like I'm I'm an overachiever, you know, and, and it's like, what kind of weakness is that? You know, like like the honesty just isn't quite there. Um, when I would interview people, I think a better question is probably what makes you really come alive in your job? Like, what do you really love doing? Like, what parts of your job do you really love? And what parts of your job make you want to crawl back in bed? Because there are definitely those parts. I don't know if you've ever had a job where you've had to do like any cold calling, but it's the worst. Someone probably enjoys it, but I didn't. And 
those types of jobs just made me want to crawl back in bed. Whereas other job pieces of my job made me really want to give more of myself, and I, lo- you know, you almost like lose track of time because you're enjoying what you're doing so much. So there are questions like that within the church that we have to ask ourselves, and. I just want to read a quote from a guy named Erwin McManus. He wrote a, a leadership book called The Unstoppable Force, and he's a pastor down in Southern California um, called Mosaic. Uh, it says, Faith, hope, and love are the fuel that ignited the first century church. They are the very essence of the apostolic, uh, sorry, uh, <laughs> apostolic ethos. They are the promise that the church of Jesus Christ is unstoppable and that even the gates of hell will not prevail against her. See, there are two categories in our Christian walk in what we need to do. So there are general things that Jesus calls everyone to do. And then there are specific things that he calls you as an individual to do. So general things. General things are things that everyone that calls themselves a disciple or a follower of Jesus should be doing. Um, You guys, you know, we should all be producing fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. We should, we should all be, you know, having things in our lives that produce those types of things. We should all be serving and loving the orphan and the widow. We should be good neighbors to the people around us. We should be good friends, intentional parents if we are parents. These things come with the pursuit of a relationship with Jesus and the overflow of the Spirit in our lives. So those things are just normal. Richard Foster in his book Celebration of Disciplines has three sections. One is called inward disciplines, one is called outward disciplines, and one is called corporate disciplines. So the inward disciplines are things like meditation, prayer, fasting, studying, and then the outward disciplines, living simply. Um, We don't need a bunch of stuff to to show the world that we're we're special. Um, Solitude, submission, and service. And then there's corporate disciplines. There are things that we are supposed to do together. Confession. We're supposed to confess with one another. We're supposed to worship together. Guidance and celebration. Miroslav Volf, a great thinker, says to live in sync with who we are truly meant to be, to recognize that we are dependent on God for our very breath and are graced with many good things. It means to be grateful to the giver and attentive to the purpose for which gifts are given. God's gifts aim at making us into generous givers, not just fortunate receivers. God gives so that we, in human measure, can be givers too. Um, I don't know how familiar familiar you are with Barna, um, but they're a big research group that does a bunch of Christian studies. Um, they just released a new study called Gifted for More uh, that I've been rather uh, 
obsessed with because that's just kind of what I'm passionate about. Um, and it's all about growing in gifts. And this one is, is specifically, um, what I wanted to show was like growing in gifts, um, that, if you grow in your gifts, you grow in your closeness to God. As you are understanding more about yourself, you recognize more of what God has breathed into you as a creation. And it's a beautiful thing. And what they have found is that the more like intentional practicing believers, what happens is that the more you lean into your gifts, the more you serve, the more you're using things, the more that you grow closer to God. You are a more thankful individual. You are way less selfish. I don't know if you've ever served anywhere long-term, but you just kind of forget about like your own needs, your own wants, your own desires, and you just full-heartedly are in it. And you're just wanting to see um, the people that you're serving come alive or the, the, the situation that you're in, you, you want to see that flourish. And then there are specific things that we are to do as believers. And we, you know, we should be doing something with these gifts, right? We should be doing something with what we're gifted in. And this requires the spirit. Drawing near to the spirit and allowing Jesus to invade your being. In Romans 12, verses 3 through 8, it says, For by grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself as more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, through many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraging, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, don't mishear this. It doesn't mean that if you're giving that you don't need to show grace. That's not what that passage is saying. It's not saying that you're exempt from all the other ones if you're really focused on one. It's, it's saying that we all belong to each other. We are a body that needs each other to be serving one another, to be seeing what each other are gifted at, and to be countering with each other and moving and flexing and ebbing and flowing just like a body would as you're walking or moving about your day. You know, my, my hand doesn't move without the, the work of my shoulder. It's the same thing within the church. You guys have, we have to work together in order to see it function as it should. So how do you find your gifts if you don't know what they are? So some of it just takes practice. Um, some of it takes reading and research and, you know, all the, there's lots of different types of personality and gifting tests that are out there that are a great, you know, starting point. But some of it just takes stepping out and, and figuring out what you're good at or not good at or passionate about or not passionate about. One of the things said to me in my early 20s that just really and it was full of wisdom, was 
that if you don't know where to start, just go where the greatest need is and start serving. So if you don't know where to start here, then ask John, ask Megan. It is, it's their job to know where those areas are, to tell you where to serve. But believe me, I don't think they have a short list of areas that they need you know, help in. So it is, it is our job, though, to just go and just start serving and to figure it out. When I was working uh, in California at my church, it was my first job at a church, and I had never taught a sermon before in my life. I, you know, I'd given speeches and done business talks and things like that, but never like taught a sermon, which is a whole different ball game. And I was just thrown in the deep end. They were just my boss was just a firm believer that like, how do you know if you don't like it or if you do like it or if you're good or not good at it unless you try? And I think what I found was that things surprised you. If you, um, I mean, there's there's areas that like you may not see yourself serving in just naturally that if you actually start to serve in those areas that you actually like enjoy it you don't not only enjoy the service work of it but you enjoy the people you're serving with you enjoy the fellowship of what is happening around you and those are huge things to to take note of um it is our job to to ask where we can help, where 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 are things um, that you just can't do anymore, um, that you're tired, that you need a break, that you need reprieve, like you know that's even as parents, like that's why we have babysitters coming <laughs> as we can, is because we we get tired and we need little breaks, and every job that you have is like that. That's why you have vacation time when you do have a job. That's why you have that kind of time off is to to get that breath and then allow someone to serve you in that way. And what better way to serve your pastor than, than to ask, where can you use me? Where, where is it that you really need help right now? Um, so the requirements of serving, as you heard, um, it's just to be full of the spirit and wisdom. It's nothing fancy. It's nothing crazy. It's doing like what we were talking about as like the basic Christian walk as far as, you know, make sure you're in scripture, make sure you're reading, make sure you're doing those things. But that's it. God doesn't, you know, require a master's in whatever degree. God doesn't require anything. I mean, he took a bunch of like teenage teenagers and just pulled them and made them disciples so like what more can he do with us you know what what is God wanting to do with you so what happens though when we don't serve when we're like eh, they don't really need me or I don't really feel called to that area when you don't use your gifts it's the same thing as like when you don't use a muscle when you don't use muscles you atrophy in that area your muscles literally waste away. And when you're not using your gifts, when you're not serving in ways that you feel like, or you, you really should be serving, whether you feel like it or not, you, you start to atrophy. You start to not really think it's important. You, you start to not see the value in serving and being part of the body. And going back to that scripture in Romans, if we're not a part of the body, if we're not a functioning, working out part of the body, we're atrophying. And what is that doing to the church? That is allowing the church to atrophy in that area. And that 
is not a good thing. That is what hurts the body. It takes work to rehab those areas of atrophy. And um, Brene Brown, I'm sure a lot of you have heard of her. She has a book called The Gifts of Imperfection. And she says, squandering our gifts brings much distress to our lives. Most of us who are searching for spiritual connection spend too much time looking up at the sky and wondering why God lives so far away. God lives within us, not above us. Sharing our gifts and talents with the world is the most powerful source of connection with God. And if we take that and think about that, oh my goodness, like how many times have we looked up and just gone like, oh God, why am I not hearing from you? Why am I not getting my needs met? That's not the point. Like God is within you. Look within yourself and figure out where those deficits are. Why are you feeling that way? Why are you feeling that disconnect and, and, and distance from God? Well, like it starts with you. It starts with your relationship with Jesus. It starts with where you're at in your journey. And are, are you doing those basic things? You know, are you doing being disciplined in, in actually being a disciple of Jesus in actually being an apprentice of the one who came and died for us? In James, it says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and then after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, will be blessed in what they do. That's in James 1. And then he goes on to say in the next chapter, he gives a big spiel on how the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without deeds is dead. And I would encourage you, if you have time this week, you do have time, make time, to sit in James chapter 2 and let it just wreck you. Because, oh man, like there are things said that I don't care where you're at in your journey that God is going to use to just go, oh, yep, there's, there's that piece of me. There's that piece of me, God, that I need to let go of, that I need to humble myself and, and let it go and like recommit myself to what you're, you have in store for me, what you're calling me to do. Because again, what are the requirements? Be full of the spirit and wisdom. So how did the seven people know that they were you know, how did, the, how did the group of people know that those seven were full of the spirit and wisdom? They were living in community with these people. They weren't strangers. They knew these people's character. There is no change without challenge. Most of the time, God does not give specific identities without a lifelong obedience within a community. Get involved in a community of believers. Get involved here at Citizens, you guys call them cohorts. Be committed. 
and make it a priority to be in one. Allow your community to know you, to be vulnerable with them, and for them to be able to speak into your life and to share where they feel like your strengths are. And eventually, like even where your weaknesses are. I've had my, my close friends speak into me on where my weaknesses are. You should, I should maybe let that one go. Like it's not quite where you're, you know, where you're gifted at or whatever. And I don't take offense to that because they know me. It's kind of like when, when you have a, a child that you're like, you're, that's not your best. That's not what you're best at. But you let them try it, and then you're like, okay. And then you, you kind of direct them. It's, and that's how we gravitate toward things. We don't particularly gravitate toward things that we're not good at as we get to know what we're good at. But it takes practice to do those things. It takes teamwork to be able to recognize those things. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, in a Christian community, everything depends upon whether each individual is indispensable, is an indispensable link in a chain. Only when the smallest link is securely interlocked is the chain unbreakable. A community which allows unemployed members to exist within it will perish because of them. It will be well, therefore, if every member receives a definite task to perform for the community that he may know in hours of doubt that he too is not useless and unusable. Every Christian community must realize that not only do the weak need the strong, but also that the strong cannot exist without the weak. The elimination of the weak is death of fellowship. We need each other. We need each other. We have to be able to see ourselves as an interdependent link together within the body. And without, with, with a, a link that is broken, if you guys have ever pulled on a chain, it just rips open and the chain will break. But if you, as the smallest link or the biggest link or whatever your gifts are, if you are held so tightly and that chain is secure, there is nothing that's gonna break through. You guys are a team and a force to be reckoned with. And that's what we are called to be as the church to this world. Erwin um, McManus, later on in his book that I had already talked about, he says, our motto degenerated from we are the church here to serve the lost and broken world to what does the church have to offer me? This move has made the pastor the only minister while making the members the only recipients of ministry. What is lost in this process is an army of healers touching the planet. We are called to be an army of healers. Let that sink in, like an army of healers. It's such a beautiful and at the same time scary call because it requires a lot of us. But it also is just, man, God, like, you want to use me to do these great things. You want to use us as the church to do these great things. John's job is not to feed just you. Get yourself some food and then go feed others. Because it's, this is not all on John. It's not all on Megan to make sure that you have what you need every Sunday morning. That's not what the church is meant for. 
He has called you to encourage you and to bless you and to speak truth and life into you. But then it is your job to go out these doors and to speak and to be an army that is for God and for these truths, for this hope. So what are you doing to dream about those things? Are you taking risk to love and to serve the lost? Are you a refuge for what is outside of these walls? I don't know if you've looked around Portland lately, but it is incredibly broken. My husband is a, is a judge in, in a Multnomah County youth detention program. And man, there is a lot of brokenness in this, in this city. And a lot of people need hope. Because if they don't have hope, if we have these kids that are sitting in court after doing bad things, not have any one person show up for them, to be an advocate for them, what is that telling that kid? No wonder they're out on the streets pulling guns on people. If people don't know that they are cared about and loved about outside of these walls, they don't have hope. It is our job as the church to bring hope and purpose and peace to those people through Jesus. Because Jesus is our hope. He is our savior. He is our Lord that has redeemed and healed. And man, we should be wanting to share that with the people outside of these walls. Are you a refuge? Every believer passes through the waters and becomes part of this river of life. And alone, you're the only, you're only a standing puddle. But together as the church, you can be an oasis where those that are searching can come in and find genuine love and acceptance and peace, a drink of water. Their needs may not be getting met out there. And they're searching. And man, how great would it be for this church, for citizens, stationed where it is, to be an oasis for those people. Rather than sitting and staring at closed doors that have happened in the past, turn around and open your eyes to the things that, that have created open doors. Where are we not looking? Where do we not see these open doors that, that will allow us to serve our community, that will allow us to serve our church? The church is supposed to be this catalyst for change and changed lives and marriages saved and giving hope and cause for celebration. The church is supposed to be a fun place of celebration. But how often do we actually think of it as that? It's rare that I think of a church as a super fun place of celebration. Often it's connected with judgment and, and misrepresentation and, well, I don't fit in there. Let's change that. Let's make it inviting. Rather than, than fearing change or fighting change that occurs, like, Let's invite it in and let's allow these, these people outside the walls to really see our vulnerability and our love and our compassion and, and man, that we have hope in a God that can do miracles.
how do we get there? We serve within the church and outside the church. We risk. It is scary sometimes. And a lot of people are afraid of failing. And that's okay. But you can't let that fear consume you because fear is a liar. Fear is, is not something that is of Jesus. And we have to remind ourselves that. Um, whenever my little girls are, are afraid of something, I, I try to remind them that when they're feeling that feeling that is not of Jesus, that is not of their loving God and Savior, that is of our enemy who likes to derail us at all costs. Be full of the Spirit. Grow in wisdom. Use your muscles. Let's flex our muscles. Let's get moving and serve. Let's be an army of healers to the broken world that is outside these doors. Jesus loves you. He calls you his child, his own. He cares so much about you that he gives you the choice to love him back. And as we respond in loving him back, man, let's take a look at where he wants to pour out his love. But it does start within these walls and making sure that you guys are a strong chain. You're a strong link in that chain and that you are supporting one another, that you're loving one another, that you're able to serve and to see and to speak and to be vulnerable with one another. It's so huge. You can't have relationships without being vulnerable. And as scary as that can be, there's such freedom in it. I want you guys to experience the fullness of what Jesus has in store for you allowing him to just completely flood your being with all the hope and understanding and gifting to really experience the joy that he has in store for you and the compassion that he has for you and to be able to dare to dream as a church family as to what impact you could have on this incredible community around you. I'm going to leave a little bit of time today for um, just some reflection on that front. I want you guys to ask yourselves um, a couple of things as before you come up for communion. As you sit there, I want you to, to just ask yourself, like, one, God, where, where am I faltering in, in the basic stuff, in the stuff that you are calling me to do as far as disciplines? You know, prayer, spending time in, in your word, having a relationship with you. Where, where am I faltering on those things? Um, and just allow him to, to really speak to you and allow him to speak into where you're at. And, and this isn't a judgment thing. This is, this is a grace thing, which is beautiful. Jesus just loves us. He loves us. And no matter where we're at. And... As, as you receive that, move into, all right, God, like, wh what do you want me to do in this church community? Where, where should I be serving? 
are you seeing areas that aren't being done that you're like, man, our church should be doing this. Awesome. Pray about that and, and talk to Megan and John about that. But allow God to speak those things into you because each of you are gifted with so many incredible gifts. And if you have a desire to use them, you should be using them. Um, and then after that, I want you to think about outside the walls. God, where, where am I being pushed? Where am I being kind of, un, you know, getting these uncomfortable feelings of where I should be reaching out outside these walls? What should we as a church be doing to invite people outside these walls to receive this grace and this hope that we have? So just think about those things before you come up and take communion and then just sit with Jesus and allow him to just love on you and breathe on you and prepare you for this coming week. Um, I had joked with um, Matt that John allowed me to give a message, you know, channeling Taylor Swift you know, there's no I in team, but there is a me. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It's not about you. The servanthood is not about you. Jesus didn't come as a servant to all of us um, with him in mind. He wanted to help save us and reconcile us with, Jesus, with God. And it isn't about us, but it does require us. It requires us to be a functioning part of this body that he calls his church. And man, how amazing would it be to see this body come alive in a new way and in, in just a, a refreshing way, allowing Jesus to just say, yes, you, my hands and my feet, you, my body, you, my bride, go and do. And being open to whatever that is. So I want to pray for you guys today. And Megan's going to play. Um, a couple of songs as you guys sit through and, and really wrestle with those things and then come up for communion. Jesus, we love you. We're so grateful that you love us so much that you want us to change, that you don't want us to be stagnant, that you don't want us to be a muscle that atrophies, Lord. That you have created us each individually to work together as your body, that is such a creative move from the creator of all things. God, thank you. Thank you that you love us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Jesus, may we be so in tune with the Holy Spirit, full of your wisdom, that we cannot ignore where we need to be your hands and feet. Lord, lead us in love to the people around us, whether that be in these walls, in our homes, outside these walls. Lord, lead us to those people that, that you want to love on and that we can be a vessel for that to happen. Jesus, I pray that we would be an army of healers, to the broken world that is outside these doors. Jesus, allow us 
to experience your love in this place today. Speak to us where we need to refine our relationship with you individually, where we need to refine our relationship within this community, this church, these walls, and where we need to refine what our thoughts are, what our passions are for outside these walls so that we can be that army of healers, that we can be people, Jesus, that would be um, just a light of love in a dark, dark city right now. Jesus, thank you. In your name, amen.